Good morning. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of The Future of Email. My guest today, yay, finally got her, Adiola <laughs> Sol, founder of Strategy CRM. Adiola, thank you for finally connecting and, you know, jetting in from London and agreeing to talk with me. Thank you for having me. You're like the infamous doctor that uh, goes all over the, the internet, all over different webinars and put in very, very insightful <laughs> Hard, hard to answer questions. That's right. I think the the place we first connected was one of your, uh, you know, awesome jobs hosting a webinar. And I was kibitzing on the side, dropping questions in the Q&A. You were like a keypad warrior. (laughs) A lot of questions. And I was just like, oh, I'm so glad I'm hosting and not having to answer. (laughs) I think we got, I think we had uh, Skip Fedora who was an earlier guest on this program, uh, kind of tied in knots on one of those. It was pretty funny. So <laughs> tell people a bit about you. I know a little bit about you, but tell people a little bit about you. Oh, okay. So hello, everyone. I'm Adiola, and I am a CRM consultant. Like Matthew said, I have my own little consultancy called Strategy CRM. I am a lover of all things email marketing and data probably got about 12 plus years experience in the game. I know I don't look it, um, but I do. (laughs) I live in London. I, um, what else can I say? Although it doesn't look like it right now, I definitely am heavily into beauty, hair and makeup. And I think that's just one of the fun facts about me. Oh, and another fun fact about me is I love cartoons absolutely love cartoons all i watch is cartoons so really yeah give me some some examples oh do you know what the thing is the cartoons that i watch are Are a little off color (laughs) (laughs) i don't care um no no pokemon over here um i guess one of the more you know ones that you can watch with your kids is uh, i like dragon ball z Mm-hmm. That one is one of my favorites. But if you don't want to watch with your kids, um, Vox Machina on uh, Amazon Prime is yeah. very good. It's okay. it's a little naughty, but it's tongue in cheek. Quite a fair bit of swearing, but very very good. And then on Netflix, oh my gosh, Final Space, very good. Intergalactic yeah. kind of show, but very funny. And F is for Family. A bit more set in the seventies, a little bit crude, um, but again, a very, very good cartoon. Very good. So those are just a few. Only one of the two people on this conversation remembers the seventies, but we'll leave that aside. Um, (laughs) So animation, which is a very, very deep passion of mine. uh, There's a funny. What's the boundary between animation? and cgi and now it looks like it's actually real what do you think oh my gosh do you know what i feel like it's ever so close have you ever seen that movie swan song on apples obviously i watch a lot of stuff i'm writing it down well okay write it down it's actually a really good movie so i won't give it away or spoil it but essentially it's about this man who is terminally ill And he doesn't want his wife to go through any heartache because she had previously gone through some form of heartache and he just didn't want to put her through that again. So um, he kind of goes through this process of essentially um, some technology, I don't want to spoil it, but some technological advancements in order to maintain the balance whilst he is actually dying. And in that movie... Um, there were so many, even though I know it was CGI, there were so many different concepts within that film that felt, felt as though it could be everyday life. So, um, or driverless cars uh, that you could just kind of put your destination in mm-hmm. and this like Tesla would arrive and kind of drive you wherever you need to go. Or um, there was this uh, scene where he takes out his contact lenses and um, he just kind of puts them on um, his vanity unit and they kind of spray it and clean it. And even the same with his ear pods, he just places them on this kind of magnetic thing, but you can't see it and it levitates and starts to charge. Um, 
And also just like his screen. So obviously Apple did some heavy placement in that movie. Uh, but it almost looked like the minority report. So he had like three, do you remember that movie? Yes. He had like three screens and he could flick from his phone onto the screens and and do all sorts, have a call over here and kind of do some design over there. And I just felt like, I know that this isn't real, but it was it blended in so seamlessly that I just felt as though this could probably be us in the next five years. Like the way in which yeah. animation and CGI is being portrayed in movies as though it's already a part of our lives. You, you instantly believe that this concept is real and almost maybe it's only available to the elite. Like, why don't I have this yet? But it's actually fabricated to some degree. Yeah, or, or potentially to a complete degree. I got a video from someone the other day and I believe it was an article about AI, but I, because I, everyone's writing about AI, I, I watched the video and then I rewound and I watched again. I said, you know what? I'm pretty sure the guy wrote the script and fed it into an AI that did the voiceover and the talking head person. Really? It was really good, but there were these subtle uh, uh, mouth sync uh, emphasis thing and breath pattern. Okay. It just wasn't quite human. It was like, nah, she hasn't blinked for five minutes. Right. Doesn't work. Um, hasn't taken a breath, still talking. And, and, and there was just enough repetition. And it, it was fantastic. Like, I, you know, this, this is something I'm interested in. So I caught it. But I think most people go, oh, yeah, this did nice. Yeah, she did a nice job explaining that. And I don't think it was an actual person. You don't. I don't. I really don't. Because of the way she breathed. Yeah. yeah. And lack of blinking. Oh, yeah. You know, the, there are some people that actually just don't, just not that they struggle to blink, but they actually can go some time without blinking. Yeah. But I do probably believe that it was a, you know, kind of what's it called, a fabricated person or an AI kind of construct of a person because you're seeing a lot of that now. Even there are some tech websites that will have a host, yeah, um, yeah. you know, greet you. And it seems as though it's a member of staff, but actually it's, it's not. And you can tell, like you said, there's certain facial expressions. Little things. Yeah, that we wouldn't naturally make as humans. Um, I think usually as humans, we're always looking away at something. If we're thinking or trying to remember yes. something, look yes. away or look up. And yes. that's just a natural cue yes. of thinking. Yes. Whereas, yes, if someone has been programmed their speech. Yes. They're just recounting what's been programmed into them. So there isn't that natural human instinct to you, review. You're language. right. In fact, I'm doing this in recall, but I, I think that talking head in that video was like full frontal eye contact the whole time. Like, you're looking at me, I'm looking no, at you. I don't think so. I don't think you can get away with that. I mean, neither of us have been like, oh, the camera yeah, the whole time. Zoned just, in. Yeah. And it just, it, yeah. But. We're early days. This is going to keep evolving. And and swan song, as you're citing, like the 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 boundary between the the real and the un, the real and the artificial is getting squishier yeah. and squishier. I'm not sure. Yeah, and it's right? it's scary. You know, it's getting to the point where I am nice to Siri. And oh, oh no 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 because no be real. much more entertaining. No, no I'm so. Afraid. Every single time I ask for a request, I always say thank you. And even when he doesn't like respond when I say, you know, the command, usually before I would like curse. Like, so but after watching all these movies, I'm now like, you know, what? I'm just going to be nice to him because when the time comes and he becomes sentient. Yes. <laughs> you want to pay back, right? <laughs> oh, you were nice to me. I need him to look after me. <laughs> <laughs> No, your other Android friends to leave me alone. I was one of the nice humans. <laughs> well, hopefully I'm dead before that time happens. Okay. I'm in serious trouble then. You have to be nice. Yeah. No, 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 no. Be nice to your dad. Like, it's getting squishier. <laughs> you just don't know what the capabilities of technology is, you know, in the next 10, 20 
30 years, you know. If you watch that movie Swan Song, I, I have a feeling you will probably say some of those elements within the movie will probably realize in our future, probably in the next decade. I mean, yeah, this is, this is it's all it's all happening fast, but keep in mind that what we call technology now will eventually become invisible and we'll hang that label on something else. Like True. it's just it's just like that the nature of change. I would argue a lot of people don't think of the internet per se as technology anymore. It's Absolutely. just kind of it's there, it's ubiquitous, it's like oxygen. Wow. <laughs> no, I- Absolutely. And even down to the way in which, uh, you know, AI is used within your day to day, Um, even, you know, down to Amazon Prime or, you know, ordering Ubers, you know, it's already been woven into society on a very, what's it called? What's your, you're the man of many words, but you know what I'm trying to say is who? Yeah. Why into a point where we it, we coexist with it without actually realizing that we're using a smart piece of technology to make our everyday what, lives? What, watch this. My hand is not going to leave my sleeve, but watch this segue. It's kind of like email, which, which seemed high tech <laughs> at a point in the past. Oh, God, someone can actually send me a message. and. Yeah. If you're early enough, you had AOL going, you've got mail. And it was kind of exciting. And then it started getting annoying. And now it's kind of like wallpaper and you don't think about it. And if you're in the, if you're in the email space, as you are, as I am, when you, mm-hmm. else, when you tell the man on the street, oh, I'm blah, 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 email, they're like, <laughs> email's going to die. Email's going to go away. Like, no, it's not. And it's actually more complicated than you think it is. But it looks like it just happens, doesn't it? No, uh, 100%. And I think I wish there was more of a branding or advertising around email because when you go and speak to the average person on the street, and I, I don't even tell them I work in email anymore. I lie and say that I'm a data and strategic consultant. Because yes, yes. Because it's what I do. But when I say email, I Im- immediately get blamed for spam. And I'm just yeah. like, I, I don't spam you. That's not what we do. Right. We're... We're leveraging customer insights. We're leveraging so many different tech, tech stacks. We're doing some very complicated things to essentially ge- generate revenue. Um, but to say that in an elevator pitch is so much more harder. So the term data strategic consultant is just so much more easier to, for them to kind of land. And then I can mix in all the different layers of what I do in regards to data and how I kind of disseminate that out via email marketing but you're absolutely right email back in the day was a smart new piece of tech and now it's become the norm just like receiving a text message is almost anticipated you're not sending an email it's almost like you can't be trusted as a as a vendor as a retailer um, is expected of you to have have an email platform or to at least have an email communication channel so you're absolutely right. And I I constantly wonder, or not constantly, that's such a lie, but I do wonder about how email is going to evolve with this new generation, this this new these new adopters. Yeah, what do you think? I mean, you're you're we're at least three years apart in age. And uh <laughs> it's like you're gonna have a different perspective. Yeah. And you've got a foot in email, but you've also got a, you know, got a foot in being, you know, uh, younger. So how do you think it's going to evolve? Thought leader time, girl. Get my thought leader cap on. Okay. So do you know what? I genuinely believe that email is going to be integrated into social. I have a feeling, I, I feel as though mm. email, yeah, email will be used to leverage social platforms um, as well as being an independent platform within itself. So when you look at, um, let's say, what the, it's not so big in the UK, but WhatsApp messaging is huge in the UAE, it's huge in APAC. Yes, yes. Um, and it's kind of, it's the norm. And I believe that email will be used to kind of circumvent the information that comes out of those WhatsApp conversations or at least kind of extend and continue the process from 
one of these social, you know, web chats into the email realm. So if someone's had a complaint about something they've bought and they're going through WhatsApp to kind of, you know, have some form of resolution, mm. I believe then the next step is email will then come in and perhaps there'll be some recommendations or, you know, another way to incentivize that customer, especially if they've had a bad experience. So it's not necessarily just going to be a channel that kind of works independently on its own. It's going to be interconnected into some of these different social channels to either leverage the customer experience or to enhance the way in which someone buys, especially if people are, especially in Dubai, they send lots of promotional um, content via website, um, WhatsApp and, and SMS. Um, TikTok, very interestingly, I, well, it's good. You know, it's going through its issues right now in U.S. Congress. Yeah, so I, so China thinks it's xenophobia, but, you know, if it gets banned in the U.S., um, that's quite a big deal. Because I think when I was quite watching um, the hearing, over about 150 million users of TikTok in the U.S. And yeah. listening yeah. to the amount of um, the way in which the algorithm is so smart and its objective is to keep users on the on the app for an average 16 minutes, because that's how they generate their revenue from ad sales, again, I mean, if it's not in the US, but with other markets anyway, I think there will be ways in which email will be used as, an, as a channel to probably leverage that value proposition. So, you know, we've captured their email address from their sign up, um, you know, to use the app and we're serving them ad content. We know what they're buying. We or we know what they like. We know what they're um, interested in so we can now use email to further um, instigate that intent to drive that you know that overall sell so I, I I believe that there is room for email to evolve and become a lot more of an integral part in social whether you agree or disagree I can see I, you I, yeah there's a lot lot to un a lot to there let's uh, <laughs> let's take some of the pieces apart for a second um one of the things that I think shapes the uh, uh, digital landscape and where email fits in it is some is some fairly accidental uh, evolution of technology things. Um, if you look at the you look at the numbers in the U.S., e email is still the dominant uh, dominant channel. Like just just by message volume, by you know gigs, by whatever. It's like uh, Salesforce issued their eighth, I think, marketing landscape report a couple of days ago. And I, I went and grabbed it, started reading it. And of course, five minutes later, someone from Salesforce calls me because they're really good at that. But leave that aside, um, 80, 80%, over 80% of the message volume in their study, email. Not all the other channels, email. And well, in the US, there is no dominant app. You mentioned oh. WhatsApp. There's not. You mentioned WhatsApp. Not used here. I love, I, I figured that out recently, which I was just like, why? It's really different. Because you guys rely so much heavily on um, iOS, on um, um, yeah, yeah. iMessage. Uh, well, yes and not. Um, so SMS, you know where SMS came from? So Texas. What's that? Are you going to say Texas? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, when... When the first uh, cellular phones were designed, um, there was a, there was kind of a bootstrap problem of you want someone to be able to talk on this radio channel, essentially, but you also need the device to be able to say, hi, I'm legitimate. So there was actually a separate frequency and a separate channel allocated to those back and forth control conversations between the tower and the phone. Oh. Okay. Didn't take much. And it was actually little tiny messages like, hi, I'm telephone number such and such. Okay, you're legit. You can use my tower and talk, right? And someone went, wait a minute. We could actually use that to transmit messages back and forth to each other. They kind of hijacked the control channel, short message yeah. service, SMS. So it was this accident of the evolution of the cell phone. We kind of never got past that in the US and had an OTA over the top app like WhatsApp or WeChat or something like that take right. off. So in the U.S., at least <clears throat> interpersonally, it's going to be Apple Messages with your Apple friends. 
and fall back to nasty green bubble uh, Android messages wow. with your yeah. with your Android friends, and like that's the landscape as it stands right now. Yeah. Like that's the landscape as it stands, and. Google is making a concerted push to embarrass Apple in public. Oh, you guys are holding everybody back. You need to jump on the RCS train. And Apple's going, yeah, I don't think so. Tim Cook said, buy your mom an iPhone. Like, don't bother me. <laughs> right? So the key point, sort of social level point, is at least in this, in this market, this being U.S., because that's where I'm sitting. It won't. They, you it you don't go, oh, well, we're, we, can expect, we can expect our new consumer, subscriber, whatever, to also use the channel X, whatever it is. There is no channel X, right? Mm -hmm. Email, you expect it. It's your digital home address. SMS, maybe, but who in the Samuel wants SMS messages from merchants? I've got two of them just for a science experiment. And God, they're annoying. Um, and that's it, right? Whereas... A richer channel, a WhatsApp, a WeChat, or something like that, with with more mechanisms to make it interactive, you know, measurable, me, you know, metrics driven, blah 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 blah. Since there's yeah. not a de facto standard here, mm -hmm. there's nowhere to go right now. That's interesting. That's really interesting, and I I I I definitely would say that although you guys don't have a dominant channel or a dominant app at the moment it doesn't mean that in the future that won't be the case and nothing will supersede so even with the social apps so maybe whatsapp wechat the rest of it may not be on it but those online sharing platforms such as tiktok in providing tiktok doesn't get banned but you know those ones there may be an adoption there in terms of email being able to segue in it might have a different purpose but i still right. believe that right. there will be a a tandem where it will go hand in hand oh I yeah no I, I i agree about the hand in hand and, and i mean that's for the f more fragmented channels that we've got you know messages android messenger sms and yes facebook messenger and others like they do coexist with email here i guess the i guess the point in terms of like commercial use of those is you can't safely assume that there's a that there's a good alternative to email except maybe sms and people are very reluctant to give that out so you yeah. kind of you kind of stick with it and i i think correct me if i'm wrong uk market could you safely assume that your consumer is also a whatsapp user uh a majority of us are WhatsApp. majority okay yeah, okay. WhatsApp here is is big. Yeah, I know. I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember speaking to my friend from the US and she was like, oh, do you have WhatsApp? And she was like, of course you guys do. That's all you use. Like, we don't use it here. I have to download it just to talk to you because, right. you know, and it's like, right. oh, I'm sorry, I'm such an inconvenience. But <laughs> in my homeland, everyone has it. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, arguably you've jumped ahead where we're, we, you know, we U.S. market a, a bit prisoner of the of that uh, mobile cold, cold war thing, the Android iPhone thing and, and iPhone statistically quite dominant, um, mm -hmm. particularly in the U.S. market. Yeah, no. And, sure. and, and so like circling back, I definitely feel as though email, even within the younger generation. So I would love to start seeing reports in regards to how. Uh, you know, Gen Z and whichever generation comes yeah. after them and um, their actual thoughts on emails. I feel that there have been some chatter in regards to they feel as though emails, they receive too many emails or perhaps they sure. don't like to, to surrender their email address. However, they're really happy to surrender it to download a new or tool um, and expect an email to confirm, yes. you know, Yes. Their purpose or their action, et cetera, yes. et cetera. Yes. So although the sentiment might be, we don't like emails, emails is old school, they still have a preconditioned, pre-programmed expectance of email to play a very vital part in their entire journey with whatever app tool or whatever they're using, which is why I do believe that emails relationship as the years go on will evolve somewhat, not just being a 
push channel that sends someone to a website, but an actual leveraged part of the customer journey where it's working side by side by side or in unison with whatever um you know you find your subscribers on so it's yep. it's it's going to have a full circle role where it might have an independent side but then mm. there's always also the strategy that will be linked onto the application within itself so a social media person won't just sit on the other side of the room doing their social stuff. They will have yeah, to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's a there's a commercial and standards aspect to this that matters tremendously. Email is not owned by anybody. Yeah, that's a big deal. There's no gatekeeper. There's no policy setter. No one can. Say, I mean, yes, you can get banned. Deliverability. Sorry about the noise in the background there. The del you know deliverability uh, uh, self regulation of the email space. Like you, you can get whacked pretty hard if you misbehave, but that's not the same thing as paying a toll just to play. True. Right. right? Good. Good behavior lets you keep sending. Bad behavior might uh, might justifiably interfere with your sending. But assuming good behavior. No one gets to set an arbitrary rate. Say, oh, now we're going to cost you 10 times as much to email these people because Very it was said so, right? And they can't take away your list. Very true because it is owned data. Which... Big difference. Big deal. Big difference. Yeah. And I don't, you... I, don't, yeah, I don't know how that plays in WhatsApp. Your WhatsApp ID is your phone number? Yes. Okay. Interesting. But they, I think in some cases, they also take your email address as well. Oh, okay. um, yeah, yeah. You know, so it all ties back. It all links back. So I think there's definitely ways. And and come on, uh, I'm sure very soon Meta will own <laughs> some of these ESPs as a secret hybrid conglomerate. Um, where Do you know about Facebook? Do you Back when they were called Facebook, do you remember when they tried to kill off email? I do. Yeah. Let's try. I do, but you never know. I mean, this is what I mean. The future of technology and how things are evolving. Not necessarily. I mean, I say that as a joke. You know, I don't believe that they're going to buy up all the ESPs, but, uh, you know, there may be a way in which they would like to be competitive and perhaps leverage the um, assets that they have and create their own messaging stream, you know, where someone can use whatsapp in tandem with leveraging and it's just like how braze you know you can have sms web push you can use different web content cards you can have in-app messaging you then also have email what's to say that that might not come later on with meta okay so let's get down in the let's get down in the in the weeds this is like for the email enthusiasts you know two of us here at least talking about it there's one company in a position to do Exactly what you described. Google. I don't know the answer. Sorry, I've lost Google. The Google. Okay, yes. 66, give or take, percent of inboxes are Gmail inboxes. And that's a, like, that's a mighty big footprint. Very. And having worked at a monopoly, I'm always wary of monopolies. Like, ooh, I hate it when someone takes over a channel. Um, <laughs> But here's, here's, the, here's the topic for conversation. Um, surfaced this when we were grappling with the uh, impact of MPP in the last year or so. 66% uh, of the inboxes, Google. Almost 60% of the email clients, Apple. Yes. Cold War. Yes. Very different stances on privacy, security. Yes. Interoperability, like keep ticking yes. down the list. And I actually don't think, I don't think that those numbers are likely to, uh, to, to shift into some sort of new settlement anytime soon because the habitual device, so many people have in their pocket from Apple. Oh, it's my iPhone. I get my iPhone. Yeah. Isn't going to well, go away. No. But I think the relationship that people have with Apple is very different to that of Google. People have a more, what's the word, 
a more integrated relationship with Google without actually realizing that it's as integrated as it is. Um, so I forget sometimes that Chrome is Google and I use yeah. Chrome religiously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I understand that my Gmail is Google, but at times I forget. And it's just Gmail, forgetting that it actually stands for Google Mail. Um, you know, and then when we're looking at directions for wherever we need to go, when you search, it's Google. Yeah. Uh, the maps, I prefer using Google Maps and I forget that it, you know, is, and it's called G Maps or something like that. So it's so much more embedded in our everyday life. Whereas Apple, no one really, I mean, I don't know the numbers, so I am assuming here, but Safari, I mean, I have it on my Mac. I never use it. <laughs> never what, can, use it. What, what can a mobile device do you use? I've got Apple. Yeah, me too. me too. Me too. Well, yeah, me, me too. I would expect someone with your fantastic style to have an Apple device. Obviously, it's just aesthetically pleasing. You Obviously. Here's the punchline question. Who has the most fundamental control of your digital life, Google or Apple? Ooh, I guess Apple, because a lot of it. I'd agree. Happens. I'd agree. Oops. On the phone and on the Mac. So I guess you would have to convert. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, Which, yeah. And, and a lot of this, it seems like inside baseball, but um, defaults and habits are kind of in the digital world what right away was in the physical world. Once you get the right of way for a you know, railroad through here or a road through there, it's very hard to take it away. Once you get 60% of the people on the planet using your built-in inbox client to access their email, it's very hard to get yeah. them to change that habit because they're like, I don't want to and why and no good reason, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And we we do have this funny interlock of, of those two companies. I'll, I'll give you a third company just as an example for this discussion. I would argue that one of the reasons that Facebook lost the game in, in, uh, on a like on a large historical arc basis, is they never got fundamental platform control. Google and Apple have fundamental platform control, right? The thing in mm -hmm. my pocket is one of those two. Yeah. The thing on my desk is Apple or Microsoft, but probably I use a Google app called the browser most of the time. Yeah. Right? Tell me where Facebook sits. They're like a couple layers up on that cake. Yeah. They're and, not a part of your everyday. And they don't have fundamental control. When Apple introduced app tracking transparency requirements a year and a, a year and a half ago, they blew up like a $14 billion hole in the side of the Facebook boat. And you know what Facebook could do about it? Zero. Nothing. <laughs> and most of us were applauding. Like, I don't want to be tracked once it's positioned that way. Thank you, Apple. I didn't want to be trapped. Thank you for giving me the pop-up and the permission thing. It's like, boom, big hole in the side of the Facebook boat. Shout and fight for me. I'm glad to see that because <laughs> I like open standards, but no fundamental control. Ultimately, the other guy's in, he's in better shape. He's kind of, he, he's got the landscape, if you will. He's got the right of way, if you will. Yes. But, but. In saying that, yes, and I guess if the goal is to kind of become, I would say, almost like a, a monopoly or a conglomerate within itself, then yes, that is an issue. But data, data, Facebook still does have a lot of insights Big that yeah. probably Apple and even Google, I mean, Google have your search history, but I think, and, okay. and some, but Meta or Facebook or whatever have a deeper insight into the individuals. And I think there also comes that leverage. So even though I guess GDPR and in terms of some legalities, you're not supposed to weaponize that information, but let's be honest, we yeah. know it's, it's being weaponized in some shape, shape or form it's happening. So yes, they are a lot more higher up, um, but they still have a good wealth of control and power. Yeah. In regards to giving insights to these two companies as to yeah. what people are doing, right? How, where, when, um, even down to how much we earn. Pivot, pivot, 
but related. <laughs> I would argue that in the last couple of months, we've watched the next platform explode into life. And I'm talking specifically about OpenAI with ChatGPT as its Sputnik moment. Yeah. You played with this much yet? I've played with it a little bit. Um, a little bit. I feel like it's just exploded in the last couple months. It's weird. And like, yeah. perhaps it has been around for a while, but all of a sudden there's this yeah. big chatter. Yeah. Yeah. Nowhere. Well, up to 100 million users in something like six weeks. This, That's yeah. never happened. It's crazy. But people are using it to do things such as write haikus, um, you know, um, conversation starters. I want to start a webinar. What's a great intro? You know, very, I guess, simple task. Yes. Uh, create a subject for me or what would be the best copy to send to this email to these types of people. <laughs> you know, so I, I haven't really seen anyone do some fantastic things. I, I feel like who wrote an article? There was yes. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> so only influencers. They kind of shared an. I, I can't remember. Was it not only? Anyways, I'll have to find it. But they wrote an article in terms of the best ways to use, um, you know, ChatGPT um, as an email marketer, and you know, it was enhanced subject lines and an enhanced send time optimization and. That was the one that stuck out to me. And I thought, how does AI do a better job than your ESP does that has been amassing this data on your subscribers over a certain period of time where they're able to, I guess not accurately, but at least confidently predict the best time for each individual person on your, on your database? Why, why move away from that to an external tool where your ESP essentially can does I, the same. Can I give you an example? Go Just ahead. Just a reaction? Please. Yesterday, literally yesterday, <laughs> uh, one of the things on my to-do list was to get a batch of sample data. We'd, we'd captured, uh, I'll, I'll speak the wise and how's, uh, we'd captured a bunch of data that's going to go to a CDP for mm -hmm. part of a pilot project. And, you know, talking like 3 million rows of data. And I was like, oh, crikey, how do I isolate down, you know, the, the nine things that I want feel, you know, in each row to send to this guy? Like really, really tricky SQL query. Mm. Um, and I went, huh. So open up the standing chat GPT window that I've got right there. And I said, hey, give me the robot. How would, assuming a database with this and this, how would I query to get Bing, Bing, and Bing out of it? Oh, here you go. Here's the SQL query. Okay, that's good. But what if I also want to do this? Oh, no problem. Here's the modified SQL query. Skippy was very polite <laughs> and kept modifying the syntax and let me go, yeah, but what if I also wanted to add that? And it remembered the context. Here's my point. I was typing one, maybe two sentence, very short English prompts, and I end up with, with a, a, a query for, in this case, BigQuery, which is Google's uh, data warehouse, I, I seriously bet it saved me three or four hours of working on that. And it, I mean, this is, that's a sophisticated operation, but here I am riffing in English about what I want. And I mean, you know, well, well phrased enough to try to, you know, to give the to give Skippy the logic to hang on to. But the fact that 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 AI came back, that particular AI came back with, I copied and pasted the, the query. Oh, that worked. Holy crap. <laughs> and it saved me a ton of time. And my yeah. point there is, one, that the use I put it to in that particular case wasn't what I think of as rich human stuff like great subject line or good copy. It was pain in the ass digital stuff. Like how do I get this database to spit out these rows? 
But that's the thing. I think it's the use case. And I believe that people, not everyone, but I believe that some people don't really know or haven't yet explored the, the depth as to which it can go. So they're still using it on the surface level. And yes, that's what much. I'm doing a yeah. lot of. So yeah. even with that article, it was very surface very level surface, stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Stuff that we do in our everyday, yeah. but oh, just get this piece of AI to just do it for you. So it doesn't feel as though there's a good enough incentive to even utilize it. But if you're looking at BigQuery data like this, and if there are good examples and it's able to effectively, which we know it would do anyway, but effectively help you solve that problem, mm -hmm. then yes. I think if that article focused on queries, um, you know, data questions rather than top level content, what should I write for someone who is lapsing? What should I... You know, because we have copywriters for all of that stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, and even if you wanted to save time, okay, great, fine. But that's where the the goodness comes from when you're having great use cases like that. So, Matthew, maybe there's an article if you haven't done one already. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually I archived this, shared it with a couple of a uh, couple of friends because I was just jarred by it. But take take that example and go back to what you mentioned, the ESP, which made me think of it. I wouldn't be surprised if a year, two years from now, someone sits down, a marketer sits down and says, who are my most profitable customers? And doesn't have to fart around with Excel, bust their brand on SQL queries or any of that stuff. But that already exists. Yes. How? So there's a company called IOTA. Um, and they're new, they're about two years old and they've essentially created a machine learning kind of like data ingestion tool. Yeah. yeah. That, uh, and it came from, I actually know the, the guy, um, his name's John Conway and we worked together when we were consulting at Eurostar and he is just one of those like, you know, really geeky, <laughs> really geeky data, like just data just lives and breathes data but also understands data from a marketer's perspective nice. so he can communicate in our language essentially <laughs> and, um he came across quite a few marketers or you know crm managers that would always want to target the very finite group of people that you don't necessarily have the insights on your customers on you wouldn't necessarily have fields on this person loves baguettes or this person loves to travel at PM, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he developed this tool that essentially allows you to create micro segments, you know, based on someone's behaviors, someone's inclinations, you know, taking into account the things that they look at, what did they do? And it has this kind of predictive modeling uh, kind of sense to it as well, where it can also kind of predict there are people within your database that don't necessarily have bit it to an exact but they could potentially become that person you know so they have the the inclination or the intent is there for them to become that so in some way shape or form it's it's happening there's like an answer yeah. to marketers yeah. request to do that type of segmentation and it's only a matter of time before those esps are we allowed to name drop in there i'm just like talking is this oh, because like I went to a conference at the beginning of this year and it was uh, Movable Inc. And they had released a new, I feel like it's called Einstein or one of the, you know. Yeah, they, they, yeah they, they, they did about a $14 million acquisition of an AI company. And that's, that's the new benefit. <laughs> and it was, you know, and the presentation was like, we know your customers better than you do and we can you know, send them to different pages that they never would have thought to go on, but we know that they'll convert and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we, it continues, continually learns your subscriber. And I was like, oh, this is cool, but really scary. You know, that they have a piece of tech that is learning my behavior. So even if I say I like one thing, it's studying me and saying, no, you don't like this. You like bats. <laughs> and, you know, taking you off to a, a different place entirely. Um, So it's, it's on its way. It's here. It's not loud and in your face, but it, it is here. Yeah. The, the, the chat GPT Sputnik moment for AI finally put a face, a human looking face on something that's already been happening for years. 
Yes. Right. Right. It, it's you know, the when you when you type in a search and it starts finishing the sentence for you or the words for you. That that's that's a that's an AI algorithm broadly broadly speaking, machine learning algorithm broadly speaking. You touched on something that I think might make a, a kind of a rich and interesting closure and give give people a sense for your strategic thinking, which I've always found awesome. Um, Machine studying us, knowing us better than ourselves, has a real conflict with our desire for privacy and control over that, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. What do you think? A bit old school here, but <laughs> <laughs> it's only an issue if they know it's happening. <laughs> so I think people complain, rightly so, uh, in regards to this type of machine learning, studying you, your habits, your behaviors, um, what you're doing. When it's said out loud in that way, yes, it yeah. seems invasive, but when it's packaged in a sense that in a, in a way that it can help alleviate day-to-day issues or help you get to something faster, you know, no one complains when they're using a search engine to find a flight and it's having all of these different recommendations that are powered based on your last search, et cetera, et cetera. Like right, all of these right, things that make your life easier that you expect it to do. You don't have yeah. an issue there because it's been packaged as a helpful tool. Yeah. So yes, there is this loggerhead, but only when it has been presented as a enemy to your your life rather than an enhancement or a help, almost like a personal butler um, to your life. And I think when it's packaged in that way, I know it's so like criminal, but when when it's packaged in a way in the the sense that it can help enhance your day-to-day or enhance what it is that you need to do, then it works in unison with with the user, right? There isn't an issue. It's only when there are such things like breaches um, when you can't confidently ensure, you know, your end user that they are going to be protected, that's mm. when um, you can encounter pushback. Or, or when the, or when the label is already set, and and you're trying to uh, unmake. And I'll, I have a specific example there in mind. Um, when Apple announced male privacy protection. And hung privacy and spy pixel on something that could be and frequently or mostly was used in a beneficial way within email. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but game over. Game over in terms of control of the label. Yeah. And game over in terms of the thing we talked about earlier, like who's got the fundamental control over the device in your pocket? It's like, and I was like, oh, you stinkers. But, right? Yeah. You well, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And and that's it, it. And that's what I'm saying. When something is labeled as an enemy, yeah. it's very yeah. difficult to yeah. then un- undo. Yeah. And but when it's packaged, so you know, when uh, MPP came into play, you know, there were loads of articles in regards to okay, this is the type of things that it's going to affect from a you know campaign level. So things like countdown timers, actually. A customer would probably look back on an email just to see how much longer they have before they can use this, you know, promotion or whatever. But now that they can't do that because it catches the point yep. of yep. open, oh, you no. know, and that's because you. Uh, you you just described a you just described a year of my life uh, dealing with that particular impact. Yeah, you're right, and and I would hang I would hang that one back on the email marketers of the world who made pretty paltry, poor use of real-time content. If the best we could do is pixels and countdown timers, we kind of deserved to get kneecapped there, right? (laughs) And it's done, right? It's done. There's some interesting positive things that Apple opened up with MPP that I don't know if they realize, but we'll get to that in our next conversation, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Using two. (laughs) It's so... Aside from the fact that you've got my favorite, maybe my favorite name in the world. Fabulous. I love that. Um, where where next for you? Oh, good mm. question. Hopefully so, we see you speaking more. Well, um, I definitely want to do, I will be speaking when? 
I know I have something coming up. You got something coming up, I know. I'll be speaking with them, I think, Selzy next month, um, just talking about some of the email trends and how to yeah. apply them um, within your email marketing strategy. Be writing a few articles here and there. Excellent. But yes, if anybody needs some help, you know, developing a strategy or just wants to talk and say hi, um, I'm here. You know, I'm I'm doing a lot, but at the moment, I'm kind of just trying to realign with some clients, help yep. them get above the line. You know, Q1 has kind of come and gone very quickly. And um, people right. are trying to reorder and re-strategize how they can kind of better improve for the rest of the year. So, so where does someone go if they say, I want to talk to her? Where do they go find you on the, on the interwebs? So you can find me on LinkedIn, Adiola Soul, or you can find me on my website, which is strategycrm.co.uk so that's where I am and you'll see my big beautiful make, made up face on the home page <laughs> well we should wrap Adiola but thank you so much I know it was going to be a fun conversation this was fantastic thank you I enjoyed it and you know what you definitely should just tell the truth and tell people that you're Matthew McConaughey's brother I think Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like the third person who said that. Hiding <laughs> is not going to do you any favors because we all know. So just, just announce it. Announce he, it. We overlapped, actually. He was at UT in the film school when I was doing my MFA in drama there. Because your brothers. That's, I don't know why you're trying to spin it as a coincidental story. <laughs> Two brothers named Matthew. I like it. All right, cool. <laughs> My guest has been Adiola Sol. Adiola, thank you so much. We're out. Thank you for having me.